0: One goal of the Radically Genuine podcast is to provide simple solutions to overcome many of the challenges we all encounter every day in our lives. For the next few weeks, we will share episodes that can lead to improvement in your lives. On today's podcast, we discuss how to improve your sleep.
1: Welcome to Radically Genuine. I'm Dr. Roger McFillin, here with my co-host today, Kelly. Kelly, we're missing one today.
0: We are. Yeah.
1: And it's interesting because we're going to talk about sleep today. And I think one of the reasons why we don't have our partner is because it's pretty early in the morning. We're recording and he was up all night with his infant.
0: Makes sense. He probably needed a lot more sleep. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, The topic here for today is is how to improve sleep. And it's a really important topic because in the current healthcare system, I feel like we have this band-aid approach. Uh, looking for the easiest fix for any problems. And often that easiest fix creates more problems than the original problem. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like we got this band-aid approach in healthcare where we're treating symptoms without really understanding the cause. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we're really passionate here at our center and on this podcast is to try to disseminate research-supported treatments so they can be offered as a front line, ones that are safe, proven to be effective. Sure. And I don't know if you have ever gone through periods of in your life where it's been difficult for you to sleep or you experienced any insomnia, but I want to throw it out there and see if you have any personal experiences.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, the, <clears throat> the obvious one that I had was when we had the twins, there were, it was a lot of sleepless nights. Um, but I will say this, uh, on average, even to this day, I still wake up at four thirty. being a teacher and having a teacher's lifestyle you realize that you get a lot more work done early in the morning mm. versus wanting to do it at night. Plus the whole idea of coming home and wanting to work all those extra hours at, in the evening when I want to spend time with the kids. So I just kind of made this effort to kind of create a routine where I would get up at like 4.30, 5 o'clock, and then work an hour or two before going. But I'm finding it harder and harder to fall asleep earlier, if that makes any sense, which means I'm getting less sleep.
1: Yeah. And that's an important point because um, we are going to talk about that schedule and how important it is. But so many people who struggle with their sleep, in time, there's a cumulative health effect, um, serious health effects from hypertension to diabetes, weight gain, mm. depression, uh, increasing your rate of your likelihood to have a stroke or a heart attack. So it's so extremely important for your quality of life. And I feel like in modern society, there's a number of things that we typically do that are going to impair our sleep. And behavioral treatments are based on behavioral science. And a lot of what we're going to talk about to try to improve your sleep are going to be behavioral, like things that you can do right now to start a process. And there's an evidence-based treatment called uh, CBT for insomnia. And there have been Developed like apps and self-guided ways to be able to implement this program. Um, We'll try to link that in our bio. But today, I want to talk about some of those principles, practical things you can you can do right now if you're trying to improve your sleep and you're struggling with insomnia. Okay. Now, I said earlier that we often in our modern healthcare system treat symptoms without underlying without. Understanding the underlying cause. So, there can be other factors that are impairing your ability to sleep, including PTSD symptoms. Somebody could be really anxious and struggle with worry. Um, But that doesn't stop us from implementing these behavioral programs, right? I think because this is the front line. You have to do this first. Sure. And so, people go into the healthcare system, they're anxious that they're not sleeping, they're irritable, they're depressed. And now, what's happening? You're starting on the, the line of prescription meds.
0: Yeah. And in, in, our, in our previous podcast with Jeremiah James, he was talking about how um, going through the tragedy. Um, one of the number one things that the doctors had done was saying, we're going to prescribe some sleeping medication.
1: Yeah. And, and that's the band aid that's not going to heal the scab. And what we're seeing with prescription medication is there's a lot of side effects. The quality of sleep is poor and they create dependence. Um, a lot of people have been prescribed benzodiazepines, like Klonopin, um, for sleep. And that's like a lot of people who are feeling anxious about sleep. And it can have a sedative effect. And so there's some short-term response that it might work. But then the long-term consequences of being on benzodiazepines for months, or in some cases, my God, years, creates this degree of dependence and hell. So addiction. Yeah. And unfortunately, what happens with prolonged use and how the brain just adapts is it can become nearly impossible for people to restore their ability to sleep on their own after prolonged use, let alone having to do, have to deal with the withdrawal effects of some of these drugs. So we're going to talk about these frontline treatments today. And I want to start off by like just talking about some simple concepts. If your bed becomes conditioned or associated with hyperarousal, The bed itself can provoke a reactionary response that makes sleep really difficult.
0: So you just to clarify that, if I bring my phone to bed and I'm looking at it for, um, I'm not, I'm looking at Twitter all the time, my mind is going to kind of associate the bed with that activity.
1: Yeah, this is the uh, you know classical conditioning. So it's not only like bringing your phone, anything that is like around hyper arousal. So the more you struggle in the bed, like you worry, you get anxious, you toss and turn, you're developing this association where your bed becomes the cue to kind of rev you up. And sleep is the opposite of that, right? We're trying to um, fall into a peaceful state and we're trying to condition uh, the bed to actually provide the opposite for you to become drowsy and begin to relax. And people who have struggled with insomnia know this, like it's a battle. So you become a battle within yourself. Right. So you become anxious, you become aroused, then you're anxious that you can't sleep. And then your mind goes to how shitty you're going to feel the next day. Mm-hmm. And your mind goes to uh, all the things you have to do that you're not going to be great at, which creates more anxiety. So we're going to start very simple, all right? The first thing that you need to do if you are going um, to try to improve your sleep is we want you to establish a regular morning rise time, okay? That's really important because even if you're struggling to get enough sleep and you and you only slept three or four hours, we're going to ask that you get up anyway, okay? So for purposes today, let's say 7 a.m. is your regular rise time, Okay. So we're going to want you to be able to get up at seven, no matter what. Okay. Ideally, we would also like to establish a very regular time to go to bed. So let's say you're going to wake up at seven. Let's say you're in bed by eleven p.m.
0: So you 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 don't you discount the the number of hours because you remember how you know. <laughs> You have to have eight hours of sleep. Is that is that a myth, or is there you know is there actual science behind that number? So if I say I'm going to go to bed at uh, ten o'clock, but I'm going to wake up at you know three thirty to get some work done, but I do it every night. Is that okay?
1: Probably not. Right. Okay. Um, that's you're probably there's a cumulative sleep deprivation, and you're not at your best. Okay. Um, you know it ranges based on at times in your life, and there's probably some variability with people on what their needs are. But that seven to nine hour range has certainly been associated with positive health outcomes. Okay. Um, Our circadian rhythms matter. Um, So
0: Can you just explain that a little bit further? Yeah. I always hear people say it and they sound so smart, but I don't know what that means.
1: (laughs) It's this biological aspect about there's a a normal kind of cycle within your body. I'm not going to go into specifics about it, but there are people who begin to get drowsy and go to sleep at different times. So mine is pretty clear. I, like, I start to get drowsy around 10 o'clock, usually out by 10.30. You know, I tend to wake up 5.30 to 6. So that's my cycle. Some people might be different, right? Some people might not go to sleep till 2 and then wake up at 10, right? So you have to kind of know your own body and there's a history there. But the most important thing is we want to, like, kind of strengthen this circadian rhythm traditionally for human beings, it's been uh, predicted by the sun, right? A certain amount of hours after the Mm -hmm. sun goes down. So we're going to establish that, that structure. Okay. And then there's a lot of things that we're going to ask you to do as far as sleep hygiene. Okay. I tell my clients that a good two to one hour prior to bedtime, you want to establish a routine. Um, For example, um, you don't want to like, get tired and then go and have to do a nighttime routine around brushing your teeth or washing your face. Like Anything that's activating right prior to going to bed could be problematic. Mm-hmm. right? Because the most important thing around this to start is you can't be in your bed until you cannot keep your eyes open. right? There has to be a drowsiness. We're going to ask you to stay out of your bed until you're drowsy. Right. So the best thing to do is to d- to develop this night routine. Put your pajamas on, wash your face, brush your teeth, and then start the routine. Okay? And usually what is recommended is to do something that's going to push you into drowsiness. Reading is great. Some people, it's fine with watching TV. Others, it's activating. I think it depends on what you're watching.
0: Well, you watch Philadelphia sports, it puts you right to sleep.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Baseball's great, right? Or if you're a big baseball fan and you watch Philadelphia sports, it's going to make you angry. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So they're going to establish that routine um, and do something like reading, okay? A couple other things that are really important. Don't eat two hours before bedtime. Okay, the act of digestion of food is also sleep impairing. So don't eat two hours before bedtime. Make sure your room is cool and it's dark. I often talk about it, try to make it like a cave, right? Um, As dark as possible, room darkening shades as possible and get the temperature down, right? And that can be very difficult for people who um, are in the summer or warm climates and they don't have air conditioning, Um, but do your best, right? Some people sleep in a basement, during the summertime, if they have that available, um, but those things are important. We can try to control them if we can. Okay, um, and you do not go to sleep until you are exhausted. Okay, um, and that's when you're instructed to go to bed. Now, in the first week of this program, um, we're going to do something um, that actually. Let me go back to some other things. We talked about some food. And don't eat two hours. Al- right. Alcohol is a problem too. Okay. So, alcohol speeds the onset of sleep initially, um, but it's like counteracted by wakefulness throughout the night.
0: So, so, you're saying you shouldn't have a beer every night when you're watching the Philadelphia sports teams and go to bed?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you have to. Kind of. um, no, alcohol is going to be a problem. Right. Um, so, some people are able to fall asleep initially. But then they wake up throughout the night, and we're going to try to get a long, extended period of of um, deep sleep, and that's going to be very challenging with alcohol. Obviously, stimulants are very problematic. Okay, um, if we're trying to set up the, ho- the the environment, everything to prepare for sleep, um, stimulants are a problem. Drinking coffee, caffeine, you know, that's what about gonna,
0: those sleepy time teas.
1: Those can be good. I think if they're if they're designed um, to be able to, you know, help bring you closer to drowsiness. Okay. Um, other things that are, um, potentially important at night. So we have alcohol, we have avoiding stimulants. We have the darkness. Please don't watch TV in bed. Okay. So remember when we say go to bed, it should only be for sleep. Um, that television is important to be off and stay off your phone two hours and, and computer two hours leading up to bed, um, because we're getting more and more research regarding the impact of blue light. If you have to wear those blue light blockers, okay? And so the foundations of this is you're going to be in your bed only uh, only for sleeping, okay? Now, what happens if you get to bed, okay? You're initially tired, but you're unable to fall asleep. So if there is going to be a 15 to 20 minute period and you have yet to fall asleep,
0: well, that's when people grab their phones, right?
1: Get the phone out of, right, of right. the bedroom. Another thing that is recommended is any type of alarm clock or clock, get it out of your sight. Cause this is, this is something that like continues the struggle. If, what if your
0: phone is the alarm clock?
1: Yeah. It, well, I mean, have it somewhere where you're not going to be able to, to reach it and, and grab it. So this is really important. Um, But once you're in 15 to 20 minutes and you're not falling asleep, you have to get out of your bed again. Leave the room and go somewhere else and start going back to that sleep routine. I highly recommend reading. It could be something that you're listening to as well, a meditation, a podcast that's soothing. Leave the room, go back, and do not return until you're sleepy again.
0: So no matter how many, how long that actually takes. So if if 9:30 is that time I go up, I do exactly what you say. I don't have any distractions. I've everything is dark. I my mind is, you know, drifting off here, but I can't fall asleep. I get back up and I go back downstairs and maybe I do put the TV on for a little bit. And then I go through that whole thing again. You're saying don't worry so much about the time as you go through this. Eventually, you'll get into a good rhythm.
1: Yeah, it's a sleep training process, okay. and um, it's you know based on it's based on stimulus control and being able to um, target that conditioning process. We're changing the association with the bed. Okay, it works highly effective. Okay, so bear with me here. If you think this is going to be too challenging for you, because um, I'm going to add in other things that are going to be important, especially early on but these principles are important, right? Sure. Changing your association with the bed, the bed can no longer be a cue of hyper arousal. It's gotta be something that provokes uh, peace and rest. So you can't be in the bed if you're aroused. So get out of the bed and start with that routine, okay? Um, Something that is not arousing, reading, listening to a podcast, could be watching television as long as it's not arousing. And then when you can't keep your eyes open, then you can head back in, okay? And this is going to take a while,
0: okay? I was going to say about how long do you think um, before people get in, because I think that's a big thing that people want to hear. We are in an instant gratification society. Uh, does it take two weeks, three weeks, a week? On on average, could you give, you know, if I wanted to really do this and listen to you today, how long about do you think it's going to take?
1: It varies. Okay. Okay. Um, there is something called, uh, a sleep restriction phase of this, of this therapy. Okay. So we just went over the principles, you know, of the things to do, um, and trying to condition your body to sleep in bed. Um, one other thing, obviously I didn't talk about this, but exercise is arousing too. So the other recommendation is to avoid exercise four hours before sleep. Four. Four. Okay. Yeah. So if you're going to go to bed at 10, you Exercise has to be done by 6 p.m. Okay, um, so there's a, a sleep restriction phase. Okay, let's say the goal is to get seven to nine hours of sleep, but someone's only getting about four or five. Okay, and that could be from falling, not falling asleep early, or waking up. So the same, this, these principles apply. Like you might fall asleep for two hours, but then you wake up in the middle of the night and you struggle. If you wake up in the middle of the night, you have to get out of your bed. Okay. The sleep restriction phase of this is that you're going to restrict your, your sleep initially. So let's say you only get five hours, Kelly, and you're trying to get seven to nine. You are only allowed to be in your bed initially for a five-hour period. Okay. Okay. And you're going to build off of that. So if you only get five hours of sleep, um, let's say you usually fall asleep between the hours of Two to seven, okay, or maybe one to maybe you're one to three or four to five. Initially, you're going to have to choose about a five-hour period that you can be in your bed only. That's going to cause initial sleep deprivation, but there's some good evidence that it could begin to restore like circadian rhythms. It might be easier for you to be able to sleep the following night, and then once you start having um, about a five hour period without waking up. Okay. Then you then you're gonna gradually add about 15 to 30 minutes. Usually this happens in the first week of, of their of the of the treatment. So go to bed at, at two, get yourself up at seven. Remember you're always waking up at the same time. If that starts going well after a couple of days, you can go to bed at like 130 or 145. If that starts going well you can go to bed you know at one o'clock in the morning and hopefully you can start building up i mean within a week or two you might be able to get six hours of sleep when previously you were getting five
0: right so how uh, so if i if i do that initially this is right now right now personally if we're going to just use me as this little case study i'm getting on average about five hours and that's been for years i can tell
1: yeah, you come in here with a monster. I mean, that, that's what you're drinking right <laughs> yeah. now this early in the morning. Well, let's
0: not give them a plug. It's not good for you. <laughs> it is not good for me. But uh, yeah, and so I feel like I, I am used to it. I mean, I can. But I do wish that I would be able to to get more sleep. And I'm certainly going to try try this. Um, how how long would it take for me though? Since it's been years and years and years. Again, being a teacher, being used to being sleep deprived which I wouldn't, I don't want to be. Um, How long will it, you know, can I get through this? You know, I'm I'm almost like I have this, I have this habit, right? I have a, here's when I do go to bed. I I listen to it. It's just not long enough.
1: Yeah. I think it will probably be easier for someone like you because you've kind of established a routine for yourself. Sure. Um, and you don't necessarily have problems sleeping right? You're trying to be as productive as you can.
0: Oh yeah. My wife hates it. When I, when I hit the, the pillow, I'm done. Yeah. And then I snore. It's yeah. awful. I'm the same way.
1: Yeah. Um, so you're, you're kind of like some of these people who are like type A's and are trying to maximize the amount of time in the day to be able to live their best life. Sure. And so you've kind of just structured yourself and it works for you. You're highly effective, very successful. Um, however, there is a, there's a cumulative health effect. Yeah. And so it would benefit you to add two hours of sleeping. Um, I do think, I have seen um, some of these things, I've seen these programs work fairly quickly. But let me add in where I think there could be problems or where people would fall short. Um, There's a number of people we come across who are worriers, right? Their mind really, really goes. And maybe during the day they're distracted and they're working a lot and they're doing different things. And it's when they get home at night and get closer to bedtime where their mind really starts to kind of work on them. Mm-hmm. And what is preventing them from getting quality of sleep and contributing to insomnia is the fact that they are worrying. And the worry creates anxiety. The anxiety is hyper arousal. Yeah. So um, there are a number of things we're starting to implement. One, and part of this treatment, which should, for everybody is, you know, stress management techniques. Right. Um, and we're going to go into additional podcasts to get into greater detail. That's not for this podcast, but I just want people to, to know that you're not alone with, with the worry and how impairing that can be and how that can affect your sleep. But I'm going to go over some quick strategies, right? Just for this. Okay. Um, there is something called worry time. Okay. Okay. Worry time is where you are scheduling worry. The people who I find that their mind tends to replay all the events and tries to do every, predict the next day and kind of go through all their worries um, is doing it because there hasn't been time developed in the day to be able to face those. And I think there's this concept of attentional control. That one thing we can can control is in time, if we train ourselves, is how to focus our attention, okay? Controlling our attention into things that really matter. And it's how mindfulness and meditation, why it's such a focus on today's society. Because a lot of where our mind goes is creates threat and creates stories and it's hyper arousal. It takes us away from the moment, it contributes to stress. The more that we can meditate and be present focused, the less stress we experience. In fact, it actually changes structures in our brain. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's more than just a, a fad. It needs to be a lifestyle change. So for people who are worrying at night, I'm having them schedule worry time at a certain point in the day, usually the morning. This is what worry time is, is you give yourself 15 minutes to thoroughly worry. I have them write their worries down. Write all your worries down. And there's a process that we do in, in therapy is we go through those worries and you begin to realize when you do that and now here you are from a distance. You're observing those worries. So there's a detachment to it. But there's a lot of things that are just problems that are easily solved. And you can quickly solve them. And we often ask ourselves, is there anything you can do about this worry? The answer is no, I'm going to do this. And then there are certain things that um, we have to use acceptance-based strategies, Right like we can't predict the future. We don't know what bad things are going to happen. There's an uncertainty to living. And in those situations, we're going to build in acceptance-based strategies and we're going to cross off these worry lists and we're going to allow them to worry fully, even feel anxiety about it. Okay. And then when the 15 minutes is up, we are going to ask that person to bring their attention back to their life more fully. We usually end with doing a 5, 10, or even 15-minute mindfulness exercise or meditation. So we're always training the brain. And one of the benefits of being able to train through meditation and mindfulness is your ability to observe the stories your mind creates, the judgments, the predictions going into the future, going into the past from a distance, and have the ability to shift into the present moment. Okay. So part of our stress routine is consistent meditation, and mindfulness practice. But the worry time allows for us to control that attention. Now, what happens if you start worrying throughout the night leading up to bed? Well, that's definitely going to happen. In fact, you're conditioned to do that. With continued practice, you're going to be able to just notice that your mind's doing it, and you'll be able to worry about it tomorrow. This is another strategy that creates improvement. Um, However, I do certainly ask you know, a lot of people to begin to enter into some stress management techniques leading up to bedtime. Uh, diaphragmatic breathing, slowing down your breathing, doing some mindfulness. Sometimes listening to a um, a meditation or a guided meditation. Headspace is a, a an app that's out there that calm is, people. Calm to, is
0: another one. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. And then you're doing all these things that we talked about behaviorally in your in your Routine to wind down. And so, why do these things, right? Like, I want people to be exposed to safe evidence based behavioral treatments first before you start this process that ultimately just leads to hell. And that's that prescription drug process that you're relying on a substance to try to get some sleep at night. Your body's going to adapt, there's side effects, the sleep quality tends to be poor. And then the long-term health impairment is significant.
0: And I know several people, from, um, you know, friends that have taken sleeping medication and they are having a very hard time um, coming off it. They, a couple of them have stopped, but they're, they're not sleeping well now. And they're ready and raring to go back on it, but they know that the effects are bad. So they're really trying to wean themselves off of that.
1: Yeah, and hopefully we try to prevent that with this podcast Um, I do encourage people to look into the CBTI, CBTI for insomnia. Um, Do some searches yourself. There's great research out there. Try to find some healthcare practitioners who have uh, some competencies and the ability to deliver this. Look into some of the technology that's out there, including apps. We'll try to link them in the bio. And remember, there is no quick fix. We're trying to change the viewpoint on modern healthcare and understand that life is difficult. There is no quick fix. It's going to create more problems in the long run. Let's start with safe lifestyle-based interventions and establish behavioral treatments first.
0: Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you're considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.